All right. I think we got to be quick about this one because we're, we're recording our intro before, right before our guest joins. So we got the, this has to be peak efficiency for a podcast. Yeah, most, we're real good at that as always. No, it's okay. We are very efficient. Let me get efficient. Up. Oh, very good. I'm already drinking mine. Okay, what's an efficient, funny, quick? All right. Uh, uh, knock, knock. Uh, who's there? Europe. <laughs> Europe who? How dare you, sir? <laughs> How dare you? Is this the G7? <laughs> Is this your analogy about the G7? Sure. Very, very clever. Very witty. Mm-hmm. Zachary Blue. <laughs> Who's Zachary Blue? Zachary Blue. The He's representative from France. Zachary yeah. Blue. It's a pretty efficient call open. <laughs> you know what? That'll do. That'll do. In the bag. Oh God, what is what am? What is this, this podcast? Four and a half years in. Still figuring out. Hard to answer. Look, it's a, if, if you're a new listener, it's a political explainer show. I'm a little bit dense when it comes to the subject of politics, despite four and a half years of co-hosting a podcast on the subject. But luckily Steve, my drinking buddy, takes me by the hand and guides me on the long circuitous winding paths to enlightenment. We've never gotten there. No, you can't even see it. No, because I have, you haven't noticed, but I'm actually taking you backwards. Oh well, I've got the, you put this sack over my head, so yeah, <laughs> you're in the boot. You don't know I why. Mean, I have no idea, but I'm, I'm presuming we're heading towards enlightenment. It's um, very bumpy road. It's a very bumpy road. It's a smelly boot. I think there's someone else back here, but they haven't spoken in weeks. <laughs> that's um, Zachary Blue. <laughs> no, that's Zachary Blue. Oh, uh, but that's this podcast. And if you like the the sound of what you just heard and you want a little bit more of that banter of the fortnightly dose of, of um, I was going to say WAP, but uh, Cardi B took that acronym away from us. If the fortnightly Never going to forgive her for that. Never, ever. Um, I have I still haven't spoken to her since she released the song. <laughs> oh man, you guys were so close. I know. Well, look. You were like if, pinging back and forward, Insta reactions. It was nonstop. If this is her how... thumb got broader just from typing messages to her. That's it. And that, you know, I haven't, look, I haven't spoken to her since. I can honestly say that. That's not a lie. I have not spoken to her since that, ep- that, that, that particular song came out. So we shall speak no more on the subject. But if, if you do want a little bit more than a fortnightly dose you've been getting, uh, you can click on the link in the show notes to join Headstuff Plus, our, um, what do you call it? A subscription platform? It's, yeah. Yeah. Bespoke Patreon. Bespoke Patreon, that's exactly it. Just, if you want to help us out, if you want to, if you like what we do, you want to support the show, keep us in pints, especially now that uh, Ireland's opening back up again, Steve. Sure is. Sure I am going. going for pints today. Oh my God. I went for pints yesterday with Jer and Lex. Amazing. And Rosianna, actually, uh, two contributors to our last Woo. episode. Um, did they feel the hard time. done by about how we talked about them as being British? Oh, they didn't listen to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they did. I know. I know. Nick Lex's boyfriend did and um, shot us uh, some corrections uh, on, on opinions, <laughs> some opinions on uh, on on the British, but like nice, lighthearted ones. Anyway, Cromwell, uh, real lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, you know, real jovial shit. Uh, but yeah, you're, so yeah, if you want to keep us in pints, particularly as Steve starts to venture out into the world and starts experiencing pints for the first time in a year and a half, 
thereabouts, then um, you can you can subscribe down there. And as a thank you, you will receive uh, bonus episodes that are donor only. And so we've got a nice back catalogue of them there, and we're always adding stuff to it. So, so do that if you if you will. What so what what are we talking about today, Steve? What's the what's we're, it's the not a what here? today is a who? Oh, it's a very a dis- that's a very disrespectful way for me to set up. <laughs> This episode, like I was tempted to go what um, AOC, yeah, the, sub- the, the 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 subject and person in question, person mm. and subject in question. Well, that's it because she's bigger than it. It's it's not just a person; it's a movement; it's a brand. There, I say, yes, she may be like a relatively short New York based politician, but she is much more than that. Yes, so we are going to talk about Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yes. And specifically, um, despite what some people may have thought from a badly worded Instagram post I put up during the week, we're not talking to the great AOC herself. We are talking to Mr. David Friedlander, who is a veteran New York City based journalist. And he recently wrote a book called The AOC Generation, How Millennials Are Seizing Power and Rewriting the Rules of American Politics. I can remember, what's the name? What's the subtitle part of a book called again? We've talked about this loads of times. So I could never remember. The byline? Is it byline? No, I don't think no. it's byline. Tagline? No. You you did know once. I did know once. Once upon a time. It's, it's not a subtitle. Mm, maybe subtitle. I mean, title and subtitle. That sounds pretty good. Hey, here, do you want to do you want to cancel the Zoom with David, and we'll just we'll just hash this out between us? Oh, we got to figure this out. Yeah. We have to figure. I'm sorry, David. We'll reschedule to another month because. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh no, uh, wait. He's here. Let's ask him. <laughs> oh, we're not, there we we're go. Natural author. Hey, how? What am books? <laughs> David, how how am books work? <laughs> word, word inside, but also word outside. And word outside, what name, David? <laughs> what name give word outside? Word big outside, yes. Title, yes. We know. I'm still not sure about that. Neither am I, Siri. <laughs> Why is your watch talking to you? Uh, I don't know. He's trying to... Siri's very helpful. Tries to weigh in. Anyway, yeah. Word, word title am big, but... Me no no what I'm small title word. You're very good at this. I couldn't mm-hmm. talk this incomprehensibly if I tried. You're like you are comprehensive at being incomprehensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> me, me, I'm good. <laughs> I am the one who named this show What I'm Politics, so it only stands to reason. Anyway, enough faffing around. Let's get into the the interview. Yes, uh, we didn't get AOC despite some of the reactions to the story going, Oh my god, when we said we've got a special guest and we're gonna talk about AOC. I guess some people did a 2 plus 2 equals 5. Um, but, you know, if we can't talk to AOC, the second best person to talk to on the subject, aside from AOC herself, is David Freelander. So let's, let's, let's give it that listen. So if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a bit about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's background? So where is she from? Where did she go to school? And maybe how did she get involved in politics? Yeah, sure. So um, she is the congressman from the congresswoman from the 14th uh, district here in uh, Queens and the Bronx uh, in New York City. Uh, She was elected at um, age 28, the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. And she grew up partially in the Bronx and partially uh, in a a, a town, a sort of suburban town just north of the city where uh, her family moved to like, you know, get a, get her better, better education and that kind of thing. She ended up going to Boston University, which is a kind of elite private university uh, 
in, in Boston, obviously. And then kind of, you know, graduated into the depths of the recession, uh, kicked around a bit in her life, trying to kind of get her bearings, you know, worked as like a book publisher, worked at a startup, some various nonprofit things. Uh, ended up working as a bartender and a waitress um, at some restaurants in Union Square area of Manhattan. And then decided to run for Congress against this guy who was the, the fourth highest ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives, uh, someone who everyone thought would be the Speaker of the House uh, in, in a year or two. She, and she ran against him. It was a long shot. And she beat him quite easily. And then kind of just took off as one of the most sort of famous, well-known, most covered figures in American politics. It's a hell of a CV. Uh, so you, <laughs> you mentioned the kind of you know, almost David and Goliathy dynamic of her, you know, running against Joe Crowley, uh, the heir apparent to Nancy Pelosi. Like, what what causes someone to to take on such a you know Herculean task? Like, what prompted her to do that? Well, so there's sort of like two things, right? There's like there's sort of like what prompted her to do it, and then there's sort of like what was kind of in the water that that sort of got someone to do that, and then propelled that person to victory. So there was a group that started with some former Bernie Sanders uh, like campaign staff, and they were called Brand New Congress. And what they wanted to do was they were going to run people in every single congressional district in America, of which there are, I think, 436. Uh, and they were going to run Republicans in some, Democrats in others. Um, and they wanted these to be like sort of regular people. You know, uh, people that were kind of seen as leaders in their community, but weren't political, no experience in, in anything like that. Um, that idea, of course, is like kind of ridiculous, right? Like, how would you ever find 436 people to run and like they would all lose against, you know, you know, running as sort of first timers against incumbents. Um, so what, but what did end up happening was that they accepted nominations and her brother nominated her uh, to run. Uh, so then they reached out to her and they were like super impressed with her. And she was uh, one of their candidates and, and the only one I'm sure that won. Um, and so, you know, that that sort of happened. And then I think, you know, it was just like it's kind of, maybe it's a little hard to even remember now. But like there was just a lot of sort of froth in the air after Donald Trump was elected. And there was a it was such a sort of shock to people that they were kind of people started doing this thing that they have not done for a long time, which is kind of like organize amongst themselves and, um, and, and get involved in politics. And so she got, kind of got swept up in that whole movement or counter movement. So talking generally about like, I guess we're talking about the democratic party, obviously here. Um, but for, for someone coming from Ireland where we have lots of different political parties that are usually pretty tight in terms of ideology and policy goals, um, it yeah. would be a little bit confusing to think that AOC had to run against a Democrat first before she would go in to do it. And then does it really matter when the Democrats go and swap one politician for another like that? I mean, could you give us a, a quick breakdown like onto like the specific kind of policy things that AOC was looking to do compared to someone like Crowley that was there before? And I guess that counts for, for this entire crew of um, Bernie Sanders supporters that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great question. And I, I, sh I should have backed up a bit. You know, so yeah, I mean, we only have these two political parties, really Republicans and Democrats. And so if you want to sort of change anything, you have to kind of change it within the party, right? Um, and it's sort of even further calcified in that most parts of America, so most like congressional districts, are really just like one party places. Um, 
And so the Queens in the Bronx, like a Democrat would win probably like 90% to 10% over a Republican there. Um, so if you want to make any change, you have to run in what's called a primary and challenge another Democrat. And she was um, a part of this group called Democratic Socialists of America who want to sort of like edge the party towards a sort of more socialistic worldview, so to speak. Um, and so some of the policies that she pushed for were um, Medicare for all, which is similar to the sort of national health system there, um, abolishing ICE. ICE is the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. There was sort of, you know, essentially a, I mean, frankly, like a kind of paramilitary group within the country's borders that would, you know, round up immigrants that had, that had sneaked across. Um, uh, she favored a federal jobs guarantee, um, which I think is probably pretty self-explanatory. Um, uh, you know, higher minimum wages, uh, a Green New Deal, which, which would really address uh, climate change um, and, yeah, and stuff like that. And, and, and Joe Crowley, her opponent, sort of was gradually like moving in that direction as this challenge uh, got more intense. But they were definitely like there wasn't a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned there about the Democratic Socialists of America. Could we talk a little bit more about that group and maybe give us a bit of context as to who they are? Sure. And maybe clear up, like, can a politician be a member of both the DSA and also be a Democrat? Like, what's the, where's the divide there? Yeah, I mean, so they, they operate within the Democratic Party. Um, they were there, they, they've been around since about the, the you know, I think like the 1980s or 70s or so. Um, and the, the founder was this sort of journalist named Michael Harrington. Um, and, and he, he sort of defined the group's mission as the left wing of the possible. So like you would kind of be not full socialism or anything like that, but you'd be sort of as far left as you could go and still achieve any kind of support. Um, to be clear, they had almost like no support for most of their history. I mean, I think probably just a few thousand members, um, after the uh, election of Trump, they, they shot up to something like 50,000 members in a day. Um, and then after the inauguration of Trump, when he was sort of sworn in as president, they added like a, they doubled again and they were just doubling and doubling and doubling. Um, what they do is they I mean, they hold as socialist groups all over the world. They hold a lot of meetings, um, but they also um, they run candidates occasionally for office um, and have a few that I mean, it's, it's like, you know, membership is kind of like. A nebulous thing, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but so, you know, AOC would like go to some meetings. I think she kind of wanted their support, but but she wasn't like a, a card carrying DSA member. Um, there have been a few people that have like more committed to the cause who have won sort of state legislative seats uh, and city legislative seats um, in states and cities around the country. Uh, but she's as aligned with them as probably anyone in Congress. Um, so it seems like AOC has been a heavy hitter even when like, so she made national, international news when she uh, won the primary. So even before she was, before she was in there and ever since she has been one of the primary players, essentially, at least from the outside, looking at American politics, it's looked like that. So is this a very rare thing to see someone who's on the Hill and has such a high profile so quickly? Is she kind of an anomaly like that? Yeah. And and, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's remarkable. My my father-in-law is English and I remember he asking me about it after she was elected. I mean, somehow she, and it's hard to know like what that thing is. Yeah. She, she's like the backest furthest back of the back bench in Congress, right? Like she has no real like legislative power, sway, clout. 
Um, but she she has this other thing, which I think kind of like matters a little bit more in our political age, which is, which is attention. Mm. Um, uh, and it, I think that one thing that would ha- happen is that she was very fluent in social media um, and she was like a great kind of stage presence. I mean, she would go, she would get asked to go on, you know, like late night comedy shows and she was really good at them. Uh, and she was really funny and she was really charismatic and she would sort of get into these epic Twitter battles with people. It kind of sounds um, familiar to a, a, a recently <laughs> departed depri- president. <laughs> right. And so everyone wanted to sort of see what she, what she, what she would do next. Um, but I think the other thing that happened, which can't be discounted is that on the political right, she was so feared because we've been hearing all along about like, there's this new generation of millennials and they're coming up and they're, and they're like, browner and they're more female and they're super lefty and they're like coming for your position in society and well here they were like shit with that was what this person did who just knocked off like a 50 something old white guy you know and and beat the pants off of him and like so i think that like, like the political right sort of saw her as symbolic of like all of these changes that have been you know warned about for so long um yeah you don't often see many um white 50 something year old senators uh streaming animal crossing on twitch no no <laughs> but she's mad into dota yeah, as well i think know what that she? is yeah <laughs> um so she she didn't get elected alone we're talking i think it was the 2018 uh, midterm elections that we're talking about here that she came in there there was a group of kind of similar like-minded and perhaps um demographically not not white not old <laughs> not conventional us politician that were elected and they were called the squad so could you just give us a yeah. quick breakdown as to who those other guys were? Yeah, sure. And, and, and there were four women. Um, there was a, a, a Palestinian American woman. Um, a woman I, I, I'm trying to think. I'm blanking on where Ilan Omar is from. I think she's from Somalia. Um, and, and another African American woman and, and, and AOC. And they all they won together. They were like young, diverse, super left. Um, they weren't really like aligned when they ran. Um, but I think. And they're and they're and they're they're constantly sort of causing problems for the Democratic leadership in Washington because they're they're outspoken. They're sort of new in politics in a way, um, certainly new to Congress. But but I kind of think that they like became an alliance together once they all arrived in Congress, sort of to like take the heat off of any one of them. Um, and they were like photographed together. They were like glamorous magazine spreads of them, that kind of thing. Um, uh, so yeah, and, and they've sort of grown since then. Um, their squad has grown. I think they're now like eight or nine people, which is like not a, not not a bad coalition in, 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 on Capitol Hill. How does it compare to the Freedom Caucus that was there before in terms of them? I guess you could call them the right wing equivalent to that. Loads of uh, very rowdy Tea Party guys that came in and kind of yeah. came to prominence under Donald Trump. But is there kind of a comparison to that in that they were like a right-wing, agitated kind of bunch of guys in Congress on the Republican side? And then is this the left-wing equivalent in the Democratic side? I mean, I think, you know, that, that comparison is often made. Um, the Freedom Caucus is is much bigger. Uh, it's much more influential. And I think it, it, it I mean, they are both the sort of they're like the fringes, edges of, of their caucus in Congress, but I think that there's a little bit of like an asymmetry to compare them because the, you know, if it, the free, like the, 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 it's hard for a liberal group to kind of have that much power because they're always, 
and just the way government operates, they're kind of like, they're always willing to take half a loaf and they never just quite walk away where the Freedom Caucus, they're happy to just say no and have like the government, you know, go bankrupt and fold in on itself. So they're, they're like, they really don't need have any reason to compromise. Mm. But if, if, um, if, if, um, you know, if, if, if there's a proposal for say, well, we're not gonna do Medicare for all, but we'll do like Medicare for 75% of the population. Like, I don't think AOC and the squad would walk away. Right. They, they would argue and they would like bargain and they would maybe protest. But at the end of the day, they need the votes. They'd be there for the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which you, is not the same with the Freedom Caucus. Sure. Um, you talked earlier about uh, just how riled up people like commentators on the right got about AOC. Yeah. Uh, like people like Ben Shapiro feels like every other day they have a specific part of their you know, bandwidth that's just dedicated to to targeting her and, right. and throwing slurs her way. Like why why do we think that is? Why her in particular has she had so have such a big target on her back from right wing commentators like that? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is you know, like I said earlier, that she was came to symbolize this like new emerging generation, um, and I think that and that she is so far the left and she was really kind of articulating a like vision of american politics that i think they found you know threatening right i mean in a lot of ways um there was a statistic where fox news and fox business the um you know the two sort of right-leaning cable channels at some point were mentioning her 75 times a day (laughs) So like three times an hour. Jesus, that's a hell of a drinking game that would make. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. they would run a segment on Ocasio Cortez, who again was a freshman lawmaker. Mm. Like when she would, you know, they have these hearings, and that the only time she'd ever sort of you see her doing her job. And when she would ask a question, the person had to like would answer have to turn their whole body around (laughs) because she was at the edge of the of the conference table, like where the person with the least clout was. Um, So I think that she was. I think that they were that she like welcomed and invited their hatred is Mm. is sort of part of it and was not didn't find it tiring or distracting to engage with them. Mm. Um, And she was always seemed to like kind of get the best of them in these in these fights. She's very she's very memeable in terms of screenshots on Twitter of like her winning arguments. That stuff that stuff travels pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. And there was also all this stuff that like, you know, I think people were really obsessed with like her background and her story. Like she says she grew up like lower middle class, working class. Did she really, Mm. that bag she's carrying seems really expensive. You know, like there was this kind of like, who is the real AOC kind of of thing. I remember the first, one of the first times I became aware of her was when that video from when she was in college of her just like dancing to, I was a copy maybe or something, I can't remember. And it was, it was run on Fox News and other similar news outlets, almost like in a disparaging manner, like look at this professional politician dancing around. Like, but it then, it, it became celebrated for that. Like, look at this fresh new voice, not take, you know what I mean? Like she can have fun. She can express herself in a way that we haven't seen with other politicians. Yeah. Fascinating. That video was amazing. Mm. I mean, yeah, she was, she wants to, and it's also like, there's this thing that like doesn't make any sense, but it's like this sort of meme you see on Twitter where it's like, ah, you say you're a socialist, but you also live in society. And it was like, <laughs> you know, like you also drive a car and it was like all that kind of thing. Like, how can you really be like, if you're really like fighting for working people, what are you doing having fun and dancing yeah. kind of thing? Um, I mean, of course, like the funny thing about that video was that it hadn't been that long ago. I mean, she was still like kind of the same person because he was not in college that long ago. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So 
kind of flipping around to to the hay that um that AOC and and the squad might be able to make do you think when they were going on the attack that having an enemy like Donald Trump was able to help their cause I guess you you did mention that like that was going to help push the upsurge in terms of uh, yeah. like joining the, the the DSA and just generally like helping the Democrats in general. But do you think specifically AOC would have been as successful if she hadn't had someone like Donald Trump to rail against? Oh, I don't think she would have even been elected. I mean, you know, like there, there's something in American politics where like when your side is in charge, you kind of tend to like the energy tends to really dissipate on that side and the other side really get, get gets gets engaged. I think that pattern may be changing a little bit with, Joe Biden and the pandemic. But, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I don't think it's actually like it. it, Donald Trump is why she got elected. Once she was in Congress, Trump was not like a a really big focus. And her her, the person she was fighting the most with was Nancy Pelosi, who was the head of the the House Democrats, the the Speaker of the House. And, And so, so, you know, Pelosi has to like be in charge of this, like, big diverse conference with all these separate views and and AOC was like a you know a thorn in her side by trying to pull everything to the left and i think that that dynamic has actually really shifted a bit because the the conference got a lot smaller in 2020 um and i think a lot of people blamed AOC and the squad for that because they lost all these seats and i feel like they've been a little quieter frankly um over the last six months and they were that's before. interesting so do you think that they're listening to to the moderate democrats by saying that if, if you if you pontificate too much about left-wing issues we're going to lose these middle ground seats or do you think that the media is not giving them as much attention like which one do you think it is in terms of was a lesson learned so to say or is it they think it's maybe more like it's like you say before they know that if they want to get anything they're going to need votes in congress as opposed to maybe the right wing equivalent who just wouldn't care. I think it's more, I think it's more the former, but I think it's also like, if you have a 40 seat majority, then you and your five squad members can be like, Oh no, we're not voting for that. Get out of here with that. Like we're, you know, and you can like make a sort of symbolic stand against it. And like, who cares? Right. I mean, the thing passes anyway, everyone goes home happy kind of thing. But if you have what they have now, which is like a six seat majority and there's eight of you, well, you can't, I mean, that would mean, killing the deal, right? Like if you, if you held out and they don't, and there's no, there's like no better deal to have, I think. Um, so I don't know what really happened. I mean, I think that they got, they still sort of flare up every, every now and again, but it, it, they've just been much quieter. Um, they were really criticized heavily after the election loss. And then surprising to me, like answered those criticisms with further criticisms of, the sort of moderate Democrats. Um, but I think there's just a realization that there's just not, there's just not the sort of room to spare here. And that, you know, being in the minority party in Congress, it, it just kind of sucks. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, that's, it's unfun and you, nobody wants that. So they mm. tightened it up a bit. So how in general would you say AOC is getting along with the Biden administration over the last few months? Pretty, I mean, the, the Biden administration has been so progressive in the opening months. And I think she's been quite pleased. They've like reached out to her necessarily, but like her cohort um, uh, who helped, you know, get her to office. Um, And so I I think she's been, I think it's, you know, for now, I think it's, it's, it's been, it's been going along pretty well. I think that 
could change potentially as a, if the Biden administration starts like trimming their sales and and rolling back some of the bigger initiatives out, out of political pressure. And then, of course, like, you know, the midterms come in 2022 uh, where Democrats could really lose the majority. And um, so I think we'll have to see what happens there. So we've talked earlier, you mentioned earlier that um, being a freshman, a congressperson, I guess, well, she's what what do you call someone that's two terms? Basically, still very new. It's very hard to to get onto good committees. It's very hard to even get proper legislation on the books. But then, in terms of of actual legislative work, have has AOC or or any of that other kind of the the squad been able to bring in any big legislation, or have they made any specific amendments to to, to legislation that have seen big policy changes? I mean, the big one was um, what's called the Green New Deal, which is a sort of plan to kind of decarbonize the economy and, um, you know, prepare it for sort of the 21st century of climate change, add a bunch of jobs. And she proposed that. It's got a ton of co-sponsors. You know, there's not, there's not like a ton of legislation that gets really passed anyway at, at this point. Certainly there wasn't like any when they but there were sort of two separate parties. So I don't think that's really been her main influence. I mean, I think it's more of like a messaging and media yeah. influence. Yeah, she's definitely, I feel like, opened up to a new generation, like the, like the, you got like the TikTok generation or social media generation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's on like, I mean, you guys probably know better. Like these on like, you know, these YouTube talk shows, yeah. right? That like no politician ever goes on. She, she was a, a judge on RuPaul's drag race, yeah. right? Like, I mean- that's not, that's like a, that's a different political path. I'd love to see Bernie like, Sanders doing that though, in fairness. That'd be yeah, brilliant. Yeah, then like Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Nancy you know? Pelosi would kill it, but Bernie would be so awkward yeah. to be one He would be people. very good at that, yes. Yeah. Now, having, now that I say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Clyburn. <laughs> you know. So um, looking forward as we kind of wrap up the, the this little chat, would you be surprised if AOC set her sights on higher office? Like, could we see an AOC 2024 campaign? Or what are, What are, do you think right now is her vision for the future for herself? I thought we would see. I thought she was going to run for president in 2024. Um, and I think I sort of thought that was like motivating for writing the book for that reason, in part. Um, I'm less certain of that now, I, I, I will say. There's this new currency in politics, which is just sort of like, I can't think of a better word for it, but it's just, it's just kind of fame. And mm. it's like online fame. And it's... TV fame. And if you have that and you have TVs follow you everywhere you go, you just have a, like a real political advantage. My like hottest take on why Donald Trump became president is because of that reason. And it's, I think it's why, you know, this election in 2020, like he did really well, surprisingly well after sort of four years of chaos, who, who would have thought he would have done so well. And I think it's just because he's so famous and, 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 um, and, you know, cameras kind of can't look away from them. And I think it's kind of the same thing with AOC. Um, so I think she, on the one hand, she could probably do pretty well if she ran for president. On the other hand, um, you know, she is like really far to the left and the country is not that far to the left. And I think that she is not like moderating her views. So I think we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I think you got to think like she would be a better candidate than Bernie Sanders, right? Um, who nearly won twice. Um, Why do you say that? Just because she's younger, more has more of that fame or what is it? I mean, because you've like, you've seen Bernie Sanders, right? Like, I mean, he's like a grumpy old white guy, right? Like, I mean, that's not like a political. Oh, America never elects them as president. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like there's no, if you saw Bernie Sanders, you would never be like, 
oh, that guy, he's got like, he, ooh, he's got real political star power. <laughs> he does. As it turned out, this like rumpled authenticity. Right. Mm-hmm. But AOC, I mean, she's like glamorous and fabulous and like great on you know, great on Twitter and great on TikTok and all these things. And you think like, oh, she could probably like add votes to his coalition in a way that, you know, he he couldn't quite get. But I just don't. On the other hand, I mean, I I think the country is like, as we've seen, which elected Joe Biden, it's just like not that much of a left wing country. I don't think even the Democratic Party is that much of a left wing party. She has not like moderated her views at all, which you would think you would start doing if you were serious about running uh, for president. Um, you know, you would sort of like find something where you're like, you would distance yourself from the activist class. So people don't think you're just like crazy left winger. Um, she, ha- she hasn't done that. I sort of think to sort of the other part of your question, I mean, does she run for like the Senate uh, or does she run for governor? You know, there are talks about her running for mayor. I sort of don't think those things happen. First of all, I think that like the nature of a presidential run is that it gets so much media attention that her ability to command that attention would be an advantage and it would sort of be less true statewide. But also I think that like, it's not clear, like being in the Senate, what would that do for her? Like she's already so powerful as a second term member of Congress that like she doesn't need like a bigger office for her kind of power. Mm. Do you not even think that she would run for like essentially i know what you mean like what would she get from running for the for the mayor of new york or for the for the senate but running for president would she not be able to get her message out there to pull more people towards it as essentially what bernie was trying to do would do you not think that's why she's not moderating her views that's why she's not backing down that she might be intending to go and charge forward to have more americans talk about these things she very well might she very well might sorry which is in this weird moment where it's like like it's been kind of traumatic here. I don't know if you like read the news, you know, like Donald Trump and the sieging of the Capitol and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And like, it really does seem as if the Republican party is like giving up on, on small D democracy. So I think that there's a fear of doing anything that would put them in power. So that it makes it unlikely for someone to kind of rock the boat a, a little bit. I, I think if Joe Biden were to run again in 2024, you could sort of see somebody maybe AOC running as like a left-wing alternative against him. I mean, there's a risk if you do that, that you could also like lose your congressional seat. You'd have to give it up to run if the campaign went far enough that you couldn't then get on the ballot for your congressional seat. Would it be worth that risk and then be like out of politics? I was actually, I was going to ask that as a secondary question. So if she essentially doesn't, if if this, if we're, you know, us designing her career path for her, I'm sure she's very grateful. Um, if <laughs> We're going to send this recording to her afterwards. If, um, You're welcome. If she doesn't intend on moving too quickly up that power, what's the benefit of staying in Congress? Would it not be better if she went and got a two hour slot on MSNBC? I mean, person like she would make she'd make more cash from it. I don't know how much that motivates her. But even in terms of like um, attention for her causes, she might get more there as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, you know, she's mused a lot. She has like mused aloud about saying "I'm, I'm sick of all this attention and nonsense. And it must be, I mean, just on like a human level to be 28 years old and go from just complete obscurity where you couldn't get a single newspaper article about your campaign to being one of the most like famous women in the world really overnight um, must be kind of a, a lot to deal with. And I think it, I think it has been a lot to deal with, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, you could certainly see her doing something in a kind of pop cultural political space. I mean, it is, it is harder to imagine her like in Congress, like 10 years from now. Right. I think some, I just don't know because eventually people start to look away 
you know, they look for the new story. Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe she just sort of becomes, I mean, there have been sort of famous, you know, left-wing lawmakers like throughout, you know, our history. So she, maybe she just becomes one of those. Mm. I can see um, the New York traffic is signaling that we're about done. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all just AOC fans. They're loving this. Yeah. I think it speaks to the character of AOC as well, the fact that we can try and you know interpret the tea leaves of her career as much as we have been you know it just speaks to how interesting she is and how dynamic she is and you know uh hopefully for your book whatever she does will end up being huge and people regardless of whether she 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 runs for office in 2024 or or something different people should check out your book um, yes thank you which we will link in the show notes along with your twitter and stuff for any more real-time updates on the aoc story but i guess in the meantime david thank you so much for joining us it's been just fantastic thank you guys this is a lot of fun i'm happy to come back anytime no oh, problem. just goodness. actually to say before you go david i was just googling jackson heights because i don't know new york too well but i did do three months in woodside just next door on my no chain kidding. yeah down the street right down the street you would you would be you do well in woodside my man i know i would <laughs> i went in there on my first night i went into an irish bar would you believe that there's one or two of them in Woodside and uh, the Irish the, the bartender was from Donegal and was so drunk he forgot that he was speaking Irish to me well, I, I don't speak Irish so I didn't know what to do but that's the kind of thing you can expect in that neighbourhood well let, let me know next time you're in town uh, I'm so bloody warm god damn man it's really um, hot here too it's just but you know what it's not from the weather it's from how hot and insightful that interview was ooh ooh ooh, ooh did it Oh, I am very sweaty and sticky though. Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, that was amazing. You know, David, his his last name kind of reads like a, like a, uh, what's the word? An anagram for like uh, Land of the Free. <laughs> his name is Freelander. It's like the most American patriotic name. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds, and it sounds like he's on the side of the angels as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what a great guy. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's a link to his book and, and his socials. And the he actually, notes. this episode nearly didn't happen because David mm. is so busy at the moment covering the New York uh, mayor's race, which is really interesting if you want to follow him to get some more info on that. I've only been reading up about it this weekend. There's some cool shit happening. Mm-hmm. Ang and the Yang Gang. Or, that's totally wrong. <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> Andrew Yang, uh, who ran for the president and wanted to give everyone free money, UBI, which we're a big fan of. Mm-hmm. He's in there. And then uh, you got to have a whole bunch. We actually didn't mention it in the interview, but AOC endorsed one of the candidates and she went from 9% to 15% popularity overnight. Jesus. That just shows the pa- her power is in that popularity, is in that like media presence and that... that um like fucking brand management like being able to like have an audience and like di- activate them and direct them like as that sounds really like corporate and cynical but I, I was going to say like it's a like comp- uh, it's like socialism grabbing the tools of the oppressors and using it against them it, that's exactly what it is that's Imagine exactly if what Lenin had that power and I and I even just chatting there to David it's talking about her in the context of like Trump's rise and how it's almost like, like I didn't want to say it because you know, it was a serious interview with a, you know, a very intelligent man, but it's like balance being brought to the force. Like there is, you know, so at the rise of something, but the world always <laughs> comes up with, you know what I mean? The world, like, like things balance yeah. out, something comes to, to, as an antidote to whatever, you know, threat is, is brought in place. And it, I, that, it's a bit of a hyperbole, but that's what it felt like, you know, balance being brought to the force through AOC and her big blue lightsaber and fast X-wing. Which she's famous so, for. Which she's, she's famous. It's, but like it's in New York, so it still takes her 45 minutes to get across town. 
you know the old look at you you've fucking been in new york you're making hey i'm hey i'm walking here i'm steve <laughs> hey fucking grab a slice oh, look at him sick of your shit oh just uh, before we go actually as well i was in new york uh, last year staying with our good friend of the show kieran o'connor who also lives in aoc's ward and mm-hmm. he wanted me to tell us that he got an elbow bump offer at a protest during at the pandemic God and he hasn't washed his elbow since well that's for other reasons but yes that's <laughs> oh that was the other elbow was the sorry other, yeah the, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay what about oh actually yeah uh, uh, yeah uh, what's happening to me it's the heat I'm, <laughs> I'm melting down at all Tom <laughs> alt Walt um, um, alt Walt alt Blum, blim, um, blim, blum. And if you want to reach us, you can plumb in heaven's fall. You know? Wall on politics on Instagram and Twitter at Wall on Politics. Put on politics at gmail.com. You know what it is? I want to tell you another knock talk joke, and that just keeps You didn't you pump. said knock you said knock talk. Yeah, it's like TikTok. <laughs> it's just me telling knock knock jokes. <laughs> I would subscribe, and so would millions of others. Set that up. Uh knock knock. <sighs> Who am there? I eat mop. <laughs> I I eat mop who. Oh. <laughs> you disgust me. <laughs> sort your life out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, I didn't, see oh. I didn't even see that one coming until after I said it. God. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. It's the heat. It's the heat. It's the heat. Oh my stars! I feel I like feel, I feel like a southern dandy. I was just thinking it's the same. Foppish. I was like got a big hat. Oh, like, my, oh my! Oh my stars! I've I got need the some, vapors. I need some lemonade in this hot eve. I, I want. I just need to sit on my porch and sip on a mint julep. What is a mint julep? Some sort of beverage. I started to drink in racist. my Victorian chimney sweep. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah. Wait, you... what's ra- what did I say that was racist? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just before now. About the, the chimney sweeps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're very protected. You got to be careful. I'm so, oh my god, got them chimney sweeps. All right, I'm gonna go. Just stick my head in the toilet and flush because that sounds so refreshing right now. <laughs> no, I'll probably just have an icy drink. Uh, I'll chat to you later, Steve. Yeah. Bye bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Once upon a time. Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week we breathe new life into old stories from folklore and mythology, from the mysterious landing of the old Celtic gods to the epic wars fought by Cúchulainn and Queen Maeve, right down to the petty squabbles between headstrong mortals and roguish fairies. We already have a huge collection available with a new episode every Wednesday. This is not just a podcast for folklore fiends, but for anyone who enjoys a good story. And who doesn't love a good story? My name is Kevin C. Olan, and I am your host and your fireside bard. Wherever you are in the world, 
you can always join me by the fireside.